Hi there, I'm Andy Cave. You're listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast, where we delve into people's stories, their adventures, their partnerships, the places they love, and find out what makes them tick. Here's a taste of what's in store. And actually, that's one of the really beautiful things about trad climbing. You can go sort of half an hour plus and not speak to someone, but there's like almost like a constant dialogue through what you're doing or just the nature of where you are. But you're like very in tune, despite the fact you're quite, quite far apart. Why don't we get like 60 women together in a field and we can run like a, a mini festival? We wanted to facilitate an atmosphere and like a, an environment for people to learn to climb. For kind of people who are learning, it's really inspiring to see the people that are teaching them that are also women, that gives them a role model to look up to. In this episode, I get to chat with Hetty Kay and Charlie Lowe, part of the team that organised the successful Women's Trad Festival an annual traditional climbing festival held here in the UK. They share their personal stories as well as the motivation behind the festival. They share with us what's special about A Dream of White Horses, that great Gogarth classic climb. We chat about Hetty's research into well-being and women in the outdoors. We also talk about why it's important to have such an event and wider resources to help support, connect and inspire people. We discuss the challenges that some women may need to overcome to engage in something like adventure climbing. For Hetty, Charlie and their team, Roxy, Gilly and Ellie, it's all about inclusivity and diversity. It's about no barriers. As the festival's grown, I think it's probably also about spreadsheets and being organised. The event has become so popular that a ballot is now held for tickets. I highly recommend checking out their website for more information. There's a great film called Over the Edge and a brilliant Climbers Like Me photo series. Hetty, Charlie, it's uh, lovely to see you guys virtually. Shame that we couldn't be together. Uh, welcome to the Mountain People podcast. Hetty, first of all, could you tell us a little bit about your own personal journey, how you got into the outdoors, adventure, climbing? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having having us both today. I um, I guess I got into the outdoors I've always come from an outdoorsy family. I definitely remember like growing up um, the outdoors has always been a big part of my life. However, I think I only really got into climbing after university. Um, I was in a position where I was in, in Sheffield in a city I knew and loved really well. And actually all my university friends had left and they'd gone, I think most had gone to London, they'd all gone to various different places. And suddenly I was in this place where um, I realised that I knew the city well, but I, I didn't know anyone. Um, and I remembered kind of, you know, growing up, I'd done a little bit of climbing indoor and outdoor, had a bit of a dabble. Thought, oh, I'll head down to the local wall. Like, I really want to get into this. And essentially just kept turning up until I knew enough people to try and head outside. Um, simultaneously, I kind of borrowed my dad's mountain bike from his from the garage I think it was like, I think it was, it was an old rock coffer and I think it was like a good 20 years old. I didn't know anything about mountain biking either. And I essentially just kind of fell down hills and faffed up routes until I vaguely met enough people that kept wanting to do the same. So it was kind of a lot of trial and error for me, really. And the climbing wall, was that a bouldering wall or? 
what? Yeah, I started bouldering initially because I didn't, you know, I didn't know anyone um, that wanted to climb. I didn't, you know, I knew I wanted to climb outdoors. That was always like my, where I knew I wanted to be. Um, but to do that, I knew I needed to meet people and I needed to be able to find um, a group or individuals that were keen to go out. Brilliant. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about your research, Women in Adventure and the Outdoors. What's all that about? So uh, Women in Adventure is what I do um, for my job. It's when I'm not outside. And essentially, uh, Women in Adventure is an independent research company championing women in the outdoors. Um, We aim to listen to as many different opinions and people as possible um, so that we can provide data and actually make change based on real numbers um, and a collective voice rather than just an opinion or gut feeling. Um, Excellent. So- I thought I had a little look on, on the website. I was quite impressed. And the one bit I was interested in was the well-being piece. And I sort of think, obviously, that's very topical at the moment because of COVID and we've all been kind of isolated in a way. Is there anything you can share with us about your research from that well-being piece? Yeah, absolutely. I think like the headline statistic was probably that 99.6% of women either agreed or strongly agreed that the outdoors benefited or outdoor sport benefited their mental well-being. Um, I think originally when I was making that survey, I wanted everything to be nice and neat and rounded up to the nearest whole number. And I realized that would be 100% and would look completely unbelievable, like I'd rigged the whole thing. Um, so yeah, but alongside um the kind of that headline stat I looked at how well-being varies with different adventure sports and also what else benefits so things like resilience self-esteem um you know looked at the confidence as well so it was absolutely fascinating and um I could definitely talk for hours about the data but well, let's go a little bit more so um so this a lot of this research was done pre-covid right yeah, yeah, although there is, um, there's some really, for anyone that's interested, there are some really interesting studies out there on um, the impact of COVID and um, well-being. And I think it's safe to say the outdoors helps us all. And actually, for many, going and being able to actually live that, whether they're maybe not outdoorsy before, the people that have got out and actually experienced it, as opposed to reading it either in like a magazine or a newspaper, like it's been... It's been incredible and very helpful for a lot of people, I know. And would you say the people that you interviewed, I mean, what sort of experience are we talking about? Are these people really into hardcore kind of climbers, adventure people, or even people just going out for a, a walk? Or So um, that, the mental well-being survey I did, um, I think 50% went out multiple times a week and 20% went out at least once a week. Um, however, within that, there was a really nice distribution of levels. So, you know, you had everything from casual hobbyists, total beginners through to um, you know, high level athletes. So I think the one thing they all had in common was the fact that the outdoors definitely benefits their mental well-being, whatever level you're at. Brilliant. Fantastic. Charlie, um, we've not met before. Lovely to meet you uh, virtually. Tell us a little bit about your personal journey and how you got into the outdoors and adventure and and love of nature are you from an outdoor family 
Um, so my family isn't as outdoorsy, I think. My mum is an avid hiker and she definitely loves an adventure. So she used to take me hiking when I was younger. And, you know, I did Duke of Edinburgh and all that sort of thing. But I think when I was younger, it was a little bit more forced. Um, and then when I went to university, I think I felt like I wanted to kind of meet people and do something a bit different so I joined the mountaineering club and I very quickly fell in love with climbing and spent every single one of my weekends kind of outside learning to track climb and it was just really kind of nice to be outside and be with people who I felt like I had a lot in common with um, and I think the nice thing about learning to climb at university is like you have this community of people who just want to help you and you just join this club and there's loads of people who are in the same boat as you and there's a bunch of people who just teach you what you need to learn and then as you go through university you feel like you've benefited from that community and so you feel like you want to give back to it so then I kind of joined the um, committee and helped kind of give back to people in my kind of later years at university but yeah I think our club in particular was very like outdoor focused so I kind of learned to climb trad climbing which was great because it meant that I could have loads of fun outside and learn how to kind of place trad gear and gain confidence um, instead of what a lot of people do which is kind of learning to climb indoors and then kind of like transitioning outdoors so it was a really nice way to kind of learn how to climb and get into the community. Where did you go to university, by the way? Uh, Leicester. So it's not the most outdoorsy place, but it's also kind of not too far from anything. So we always used to do lots of trips kind of all over the place. It's pretty central in the country. So it was a, it was a pretty good spot for climbing. So Hetty had it on, on her doorstep, but wasn't really that bothered. She was probably going clubbing or something. <laughs> but um yeah but I think I, I just didn't know how to how to find it initially I kind of knew I wanted to go climbing and I'd kind of go walking and like look and be like I kind of want to do that but you have to meet someone to hold the end of the rope <laughs> I know I, I think universities have got a bit better haven't they in terms of they sometimes have budgets to get experts in to help you and stuff like that okay now I have seen the film which I think is brilliant over the edge launched last week is that available for people to look at I just thought we, we can that yes. is fine is it now if they if they want to look at that so if people haven't seen that they should 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 definitely check that out and I love it um obviously it's about women's trad fest and we'll come on to that but I wanted to talk a little bit about um I mean there are various climbing clips in there I think Ellie and Gilly start on the Cromlerk and then they move to Gogarth and you guys, uh, this is a brilliant opening sequence. If you haven't seen a film where uh, Etty and Charlie walking down the slope to, to Gogarth. Now there might be people listening to this podcast who are like, what, what's Gogarth? Where is it? Uh, they might be thinking, what's trad climbing? What's it all about? So I'd like you to tell us a little bit about that. So Charlie, could you, first of all, Tell us a little bit about what is trad climbing and what's the attraction of it? Yeah, so trad climbing is, I guess it's like 
particularly popular in Britain. It feels like a slightly British thing. And, you know, you go out and instead of having bolts in the wall to clip, you there's nothing there. It, it's very traditional. And so you take everything you need with you. You fill your harness up with all this heavy gear and you kind of clank up the wall and you put gear in as you go, fitting it into cracks and to protect yourself kind of clipping in and then your second comes up behind you and takes it all out again so when you leave you've kind of left it in its natural state and there's nothing else there there's no bolts there's nothing else you kind of it's all on you to put everything you need there to protect you on top of the being able to climb in where to put your hands and feet and then on top of the physicality part of it there's this sort of uh craft element isn't there because you've got to know how to put the kit in and get it out it's quite expensive and you don't want to drop it into the sea and all that sort of thing you're going to come in from the top and I'll, I'll let you explain that a bit but basically I guess when you're climbing as well you can only put something into the rock if there's a place for something to put in the rock so you, you could fall and there's, there's a lot of managing fear is that right yeah it kind of gives it this whole other dimension because as well as just the climbing which you know in itself can be scary you've got to think about where are you next going to place gear and you might have to climb above your gear and especially on a sea cliff as well where you're abseiling down it's quite committing you are kind of abseiling in and once you abseil in the only way you can get back out again is climbing it you know once you've gone down there that's it so you, you kind of need to feel confident that you're going to be able to get back out again um, and that, yeah, you can make it out. So I guess, you know, as well as it just being potentially scary for yourself, you need to be able to trust the person that you're climbing with, um, that you'll both be able to kind of get out of there together, I guess. Dream of White Horses is... I think it's four pitch route. So it's like multi-pitch, which once again adds like yet another layer because you're not just doing one climb. As you kind of go, you need to set up a belay. You need to be comfortable that you can kind of sit down there and then um, take it step by step. It's like a little journey. And when Zorn is like this big, fast face of rock. And the real magical thing about Gogarth is that you can kind of walk down onto this like promontory and you can look across at the wall. So normally with a sea cliff you wouldn't be able to see where you're going to climb before you start climbing but with Wenzorn you can walk right down onto this little pinnacle and you can look at this like vast face of rock and it's super impressive it's like really really big and the line is like this big kind of traverse line so you kind of go up diagonally and then the final pitch is like this big long traverse and to add kind of more and more aspects to it when you're doing a traverse you've got these two ropes and you need to like make sure that when you're clipping your gear you're not like tying yourself in knots and then when your second is climbing after you they're not going to take a massive fall if they come off so there's like a lot of different aspects to think about I think it's like very mental as well as physical and the rock I mean what I mean is it solid rock loose rock what is it well, I think it's it's mainly solid, but I think it, it depends quite where you're climbing. I think as we were um, climbing, uh, Tom Livingston was there actually doing something uh, like an E6, but kind of below us. And he was like pulling off massive boulders and they were crashing into the sea, which was like particularly atmospheric <laughs> as you're climbing. And you suddenly hear these massive boulders coming off and splashing into the sea. 
So our route was solid, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess worst case scenario. I mean, it is very dramatic when you see you guys in the film. It's beautiful, and um, I guess worst case scenario because it, it traverses sideways. You take a fall. A big. If you took a big fall, then you could be. It could be hard to get back up. Again. Yeah. So that team aspect, looking after each other, is big, isn't it, Hetty? On a climb like that. Yeah, definitely. I think trust is such an important element of drag climbing for me. And um, for example, I describe myself as a scenic climber um, in terms of I definitely deal with fear a lot. Like I am a, like not nervous, but I'm very aware of what I'm doing. Let's put it that way. And it, it felt like quite a big step to um, so, so swing leads with, with Charlie on this, which is why I sort of I would go first. She would go first. I would go first. But I really trust Charlie and I felt very confident in that partnership. Um, and actually, that's one of the really beautiful things about track climbing is, you know, you can go sort of maybe like half an hour plus and not speak to someone. But there's like a constant, almost like a constant dialogue through what you're doing or just the nature of where you are, like a very kind of. It sounds cheesy, but you're like very in tune, despite the fact you're quite, quite far apart. Although I think um, with the film, we were mic'd up and I think we talked for the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but it's sort of add up to more than some of the parts of the two of you, helps each other maybe overcome, presumably, some of the fear being such a big kind of impressive place. And Yeah, definitely. God, like, there's, you know, I really valued having Charlie there for, for the whole thing, just because I know... I know I can trust her to be honest with, you know, when I ask a question or, you know, sometimes you're asking a question and they can't necessarily answer like, Oh, what do I do here? Yeah. You know, your, your, your B-layer isn't next to you. They're not necessarily going to tell you put your left hand on, they can't see, but what, what the right person can do is talk you through finding that. Um, and I think Charlie's really so good at that. Maybe, um, a good, a good partnership for something like that is where you feel like you can show your vulnerability. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't, I don't know how you'd manage to hide it and trad climb. <laughs> yeah, might be a bit scary, wouldn't it, if you were somebody who you felt you couldn't sort of put your hand up and say you were scared. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hetty, in the film, you, you, um, I think it's you. There's a bit of a voiceover, and there's a couple of nice lines there. One of them is, "Trad climbing can't be rushed." <laughs> not for me no track climbing can't be rushed <laughs> um it's why I love it I think we're so busy we're so fast like everything goes at a million miles an hour and actually when it comes down to it and you're you're climbing it's really simple there's not actually that much well at least for my experience there isn't that much space in your head to think about the rest of the other stuff and when you rush you lose that element of flow and calm that is so like joyous about climbing. You, um, also, you, so, you know, brilliant. And you also say that for you personally, maybe what climbing is has changed a bit. And I think you said something about maybe at one stage it was about harder, faster, stronger. And it's not so much about that anymore. Yeah, I think um, I'm a really like self-competitive and driven person and like 
I'm guilty of looking at kind of everything in my life, be it like a run or work and thinking, what's the next, like, how can I be better? How can I make myself better at this? How can I push myself? How can I get to that like next point, next level, next grade? And actually that's like not necessarily um, what I enjoy when it comes to, like I had a bit of a realization that, you know, I could just, I could just go for, I could just do this for the experience and, you know, I could feel competent climbing at the level I'm at, push myself out of my comfort zone when I choose, but but that doesn't have to be every climb. And if I'm not climbing like E grades, which are like the higher, harder, higher ones, um, it doesn't make me not a climber. I can climb easy routes and still kind of Brilliant. internally feel like I'm a climber. Well, funnily enough, I just started, I've been asked to review this book, which is by this guy, Victor Saunders, great name for a climbing book, Structured Chaos. Um, giving it a little plug here, but he's got this quote in the um, in the prelude uh, from Colin Kirkus, and I think it's kind of what you're saying. And it says, "Going to the right place at the right time with the right people is all that really matters. What one does is purely incidental," which I think is quite nice. I mean, we all get hooked up on grades and things at some stage, don't we? Let's move on to the the festival the Women's Trad Fest. Tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, who is the team? How many years has it been going? And, I mean, the last one that you ran, how many people attended? The first festival was in 2016, um, and me and Ellie had just finished uh, university, and we went to the Women's International Meet in um, North Wales, and... um, Ellie got chatting to someone there and they started coming up with this idea. They both were running um, like women's groups at Climbing Walls um, and they were saying, oh, it would be really cool if our kind of women's groups got together. Um, and, you know, I think like it just sparked a bit of an idea. And so then she, we both came back and then she was kind of talking to me about this idea of like, oh, well, why don't we get like 60 women together in a field and we can, you know, run like a, a mini festival and I think you know we we've been having conversations about how easy it is at university to just like join a club and learn how to climb and there's just like lots of people there ready to help you but as soon as you leave university it's a lot harder to do that it's a lot harder to find people who are willing to help you without kind of paying loads of money to an instructor and so I think we wanted to facilitate um an atmosphere and like a an environment for people to learn to climb. Um, and I think the other part of it was that when we were on the Women's International Meet, um, we you know, had a couple of days where we went climbing and there was just like a crag full of women. And it feels really cool to have a crag full of women and to see a, a couple of men turn up and kind of look around and be like, what's going on here? Um, and I think it's really interesting because as a, as a woman track climbing, you're kind of used to going to a crag and being the only woman there because, it, you know, I think there's that kind of balance is slowly evening out in climbing, but I think particularly in track climbing, it is still very male dominated. And so it was nice to kind of just flip that on its head and to just see the reaction of people. And so I think we wanted to recreate that environment of just having a women, a crag full of women and giving people that kind of safe environment to learn where they felt really comfortable. Um, and so in the space of a couple of months, we kind of put together this uh, 
festival I guess it was 67 people and it was just in a field in the Peak District and we just had um, a bunch of women and we got some people we knew who were um, like leaders and SPA and like friends from university to come and teach people how to climb Um, and it kind of just went from there I think you know we realized just how much demand there was from it. And even that kind of little event picked up a lot of traction. And so from there, it's just kind of grown and grown. And um, Hetty and Gilly both got involved kind of very early on and they've both got really invaluable skills. I think, you know, the festival in its first year to the festival in 2019, I guess was the most recent one because last year it couldn't happen for obvious reasons it they were just miles apart I think it's really magical to see the festival now and see how far it's come in such a short space of time and just how many women we've been able to kind of help with it it's really inspiring listening to all these women talk about kind of everything that they've learned and everyone that they've met and it's really lovely seeing pictures of people climbing together and knowing that they met at the festival it's just like yeah it's really lovely awesome we'll we'll delve into that a little bit more in fact people's stories and stuff so are you you a scientist that's your background uh yes (laughs) i know i know in film was a mention of spreadsheets are you are you you, is that one of your specialities is that more hetty and gilly but it looks very organized the last you know, the one in the film. Yes, I think me and Hetty are the kind of, both come from science-y, back, science-y spreadsheet-y backgrounds. Um, so, yeah, I think we're both like the organisation mad ones and Gilly and Ellie are the more kind of like idea and creativity. And I think what's really nice is that the four of us work really well together and bring all kind of different, unique skills to make a really great kind of diverse team. Brilliant, and I love, uh, I think it's Gilly's, the graphic on the website with the hands sticking up and that's absolutely brilliant. So people, listeners should check that out. We've Um, also expanded our team as well, um, which has been amazing in the past. I think it feels like Roxy's been with us for ages, but um, I think it was just over a year ago, uh, Roxy joined the team as well. And that, that was kind of, again, another, you know, we're all different but it just shows how well it can go when you get people that are all very passionate about the same thing. It seems like most of you are quite into sort of swimming in very cold tarns as well. Is that a bit of a theme? (laughs) Charlie wasn't initially, but we definitely, we managed to slightly peer pressure convince you into it. Slowly converted me, yeah. (laughs) What are the aims of the festival? What are your sort of specific as well as we've talked about introducing, you know, sort of women and, and into trad climbing and providing that sense of community more than that. Um, so the first thing is probably that the the festival isn't strictly women's only. We welcome any age, any ability, any gender. We just believe that a female focused environment is particularly conducive to, to learning. Um, and uh, we have three core values and these these affect absolutely everything that we do. Every decision we make, we refer to these values. Um, the first one is sustainability. So um, I don't think we could, like, we couldn't in good conscience run a festival, um, at, especially in the outdoors, that we felt contributed negatively to the environment we love. So um, we try and make the festival as close to zero waste as possible. 
we realize that's not always feasible for everyone. So we have kind of less plastic would be fantastic. And that's everything from bringing your own, you know, cup plate, bowl, spoon, having a recycling area, um, making sure our, our, you know, suppliers are not bringing extra stuff. Um, I think our 2019 festival, including setup, we had five bin bags that went in landfill for uh, wow. 300 people over the weekend. So our aim is to show it can be done <laughs> and that if you make a few small changes, then you can, really can make a difference. The next value is accessibility. And this takes many different forms from, you know, for example, having a parent-child ticket. So that maybe if family or childcare was an issue, then parents can still attend the festival. Um, or for example, running a climbing for all course over the, before the festival, which trained leaders on how to teach those with physical disabilities. Um, all the way through. So an example of how like far we take this is even on the ticket, application we moved or we were moving last year so we'll be moving this year to a ballot system because we realized that uh, potentially our original system wasn't accessible tickets were selling out I think 2018 was 180 seconds and then 2019 was one refresh of the website and we're like imagine if you you know have a bad internet connection or at work at that time like that makes our festival not accessible how can we change it and then the last one is mental well-being, and that's something we're all really passionate about. And this is about creating a space in which people can come and they can, you know, they can learn to track home, but they can also maybe overcome, um, be it like, you know, being worried about coming by themselves or, you know, there's, there's so many aspects to well-being. And we really want to just su supply that supportive space and that kind of container for connection that really boosts people's well-being. Um, I think our, in our 2019 festival, um, over 50% of the women there found they were more capable than they previously thought for attendance there. And then I think one in four women said they'd overcome fear um, over the course of the festival, not just on the rock, which is really interesting. It wasn't just like a height thing or a track climbing thing. Sometimes it was, you know, social, as we talked about earlier, coming coming by yourself. So, um, yeah, there are kind of core values and they've come about from what we as organisers are fundamentally passionate about. And to us, it's integral that anything we do really embodies that. So it's, it's genuine. Yeah, yeah we, care, we care a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I get that sense. That leads us on a little bit to think about the barriers. I mean, what are the barriers that you hear about so I know there's some great um, sort of bits on the website, but I, I, you know, I think one one lady, um, I can't remember her name, but she she's at the base of one of the cliffs and she's being interviewed and she gives a great, great line about, she said that the she felt that it gave her the permission to try almost. A lot of research shows that, that confidence can be a really big thing, especially at an entry level. So for those like new to a sport, mm -hmm. And that sense of permission is something that's talked about a huge amount through the research I've done. And actually providing the right environment can really help overcome that barrier. And one of the key elements of that is role models. Um, if you can see someone that you feel is like you or is relatable, then something suddenly seems more realistic and more obtainable. Um, so I think, 
I think we take lots of different aspects of the, the festival to try and help that um, and just create an environment in which people feel really able to take that step and push themselves out of their comfort zone. Do you have, I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, before you even get to the cliff, some sort of chat or pep talk or frame it in the right way, presumably there's something like that. Yeah, so Gilly's particularly great at kind of getting everybody psyched up and giving a bit of a chat in the morning. So normally the way that it works is at the start of the day, we kind of have a bit of a talk and just kind of, you know, encourage people to get to know each other. And I think like at the last festival as well, we were like trying to think about more ways that we can get everybody kind of meeting each other so that when everybody's at the crag, there's a real like sense of community and people are looking out for each other and encouraging each other. Um, and yeah, I think there's just a really nice vibe from it all. It's turning that focus away from like grades and, you know, necessarily like certain routes or certain like milestones of that, like that, and turning it more into, you know, what do you need to get to where you want to be from a skills perspective or a knowledge perspective? Like, let's look at, you know, what, what you need to learn, maybe, or feel more confident at. Presumably you have some of the people that... Um and work as instructors and mentors uh, are interesting as well because they've probably been on a journey sort of trying to make a career out of working in the outdoor industry which again is quite sort of male dominated isn't it have they, have they is any element of that helping people who want to work in the outdoors or the outdoor industry yeah so i think like what we've always tried to do with the festival as well as helping um kind of people who want to transition to outdoor climbing our other kind of two main aims are supporting women in outdoor leadership and creating a network of female climbers. And I think for kind of people who are learning, it's really inspiring to see the people that are teaching them that are also women, because if they've ever considered kind of going into that, you know, it gives them a role model to look up to. And I think also sometimes it's just having someone that's a bit more relatable and that you feel can kind of really understand how you're feeling. And yeah, I think it's just nice to kind of create that environment and that atmosphere. And I think that really helps with it as well, because normally it's such a male dominated area to be able to show that, look, there are all these women who are doing it as well is a really inspiring thing to be able to do. As well as that, we also, um, you know, Charlie was talking earlier about kind of, that feeling going into Gogarth and having a whole crag full of women and, you know, the, the, the few men turning up, what we do is we reverse the ratios at our festival. So within the leaders, I think it's around 10% of climbing instructors are women. We try and flip that on its head and make sure 10% of our leaders are men. And what that does is that gives them the space and the opportunity to come to the festival and maybe see what it might be like from that perspective. Um, and we have had so much positive feedback on how valuable that is. And also how insightful it is kind of coming into either a festival or, or you know, up to kind of Stanage and suddenly feeling in the minority. That's maybe not something, you know, these particular um, climbers have had before. So it's, it's cool to be able to give people a different experience both ways. So it's a learning, isn't it? And then sort of myself as a man, sort of when I go to the crag and I can maybe see some people who are just starting out, women or whatever, but sort of being a bit more um, 
well, hopefully I'm always, you know, trying to encourage or whatever, but doing it in the right way um, and making mm. some, we can all spot people, I think, on a cliff who are very new to it, you know, and uh, there's been quite a bit of that. Or just people in the outdoors um, during this past year who maybe haven't spent that much time in the outdoors before. And it's sort of trying to encourage them, I guess, in the right way. It's, I was thinking about, um, so the festival, you've then got this community so people can engage, I guess, via, you know, email, Facebook or whatever. That must be, that must have quite some momentum now, you know, so people yeah. are kind of staying in touch. Definitely. Like, I think for all of us, our big, biggest success is when we see people that maybe have come to a festival previously, whether it's, you know, it's all about progression, whether it's just from having come as a learner to being able to climb on their own or, you know, going from like a leader through to coming back as a mentor. Um, I think the one real nice highlight from 2019 was um, that we bumped into a group of women who were climbing in their 2018 festival t-shirts and they were like, oh, we thought we'd come out and just climb. And we wouldn't come to the festival because we want, you know, we really wanted to come, but we wanted to make a space for kind of the new people who needed to learn. But we wanted to come out and just be part of it, climbing independently. And that that was just like, that definitely made my weekend. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> Makes it all worthwhile. I, would, I, I wanted to touch a little bit on how you feel risk is handled or perceived, you know, in, in, in sort of um, trad climbing. For everybody but particularly for women and think back to um a contemporary of mine sadly lost a life on k2 but alison hargreaves you may know of her and she's sort of um you know climbed everest without oxygen and then moved to k2 and she wrote a couple of books and she sort of did things in in, in the bigger mountains and and you know at that time the media were were really sort of crucified if she was a mother of of, of, of two uh boys and it sort of struck me that there was so much kind of you know some parts of the media it was like social control really you know it would have been fine for a, for me to do that but because not only was she a, a woman but she was a mother so how could she take those risks have you had any conversations or have you got any thoughts of, around that statistically for a woman's like a woman's gender in terms of sporting achievements has always brought up more be that family commitments you know appearance it's it's like from a personal perspective I find it really frustrating if we're defining all these women as either superhuman or we're pointing out you know it's, it's exactly the same the other side of you know in the same way that mothers and mothers fathers and fathers you know we if we want to encourage more people into a sport we need to make it relatable and focus you know on the actual achievement not necessarily the, the gender always I think I think it's getting better I'd like to think, but it still happens and it it frustrates it frustrates me when it dominates the headline. I think that's my think? frustration. Absolutely. Yeah, well, so I was just thinking, so what do you think are the biggest barriers for, for women to sort of get into trad climbing? Um, what are the big barriers? From a research perspective, um, the last study I did on virus participation, the top three were time, work and money which I know you could argue that those are also barriers for men, but a lot of research shows that statistically that's more pronounced for women. Um, Women have less time generally than men. I think it's the Office for National Statistics. I can never say that word. Estimated they have about, we have about five less hours of leisure time a week because of um, 
a lot of the time that's like an unpaid care burden, be it like looking after kids, parents, chores. So I think I think barriers are really nuanced. I think without going like really deep into all the data, they're they're different for everyone. You know, they can be personal, they can be practical, they can be cultural, social. Um, but one thing we can all do and a step we can all take is actually try and listen to, you know, be it our friends, be it, um, you know, our audience from a, like from our perspective, from Trad Festival, who's coming. And we can listen and we can try our best to address them. And even if that's done on a personal level and we're all only just doing a really little bit, it's going to make a difference. We just need to kind of have our ears open and do our bit in welcoming people into the sport we love. Could somebody come to the fest- festival then with very little experience? Yeah, for sure. So I think that the way that we've always kind of advertised the festival is it's for anyone. So, you know, whether you've literally never climbed before, you've never climbed indoors, you've never climbed outdoors, you just love the idea of it and you just want to meet some people, like it's for you. Or whether you've climbed indoors loads, but you've never had the chance to climb outdoors. Or it's also for people who've climbed a lot outdoors, but, you know, for for whatever reason, they might not feel confident to kind of go out themselves. They might feel like they've never had the chance to learn the skills that they need to go out by themselves or they might, you know, get really scared. And so we've always tried to make it work for everybody and then we'll kind of pair people up so that they're with someone who's had a similar experience to themselves. And then it means that they can kind of, work on that together and kind of go through that with someone else who's had a similar experience when i mean are you able to run one this year and or has it all looking because i mean it's not been the easiest of times to be organizing festivals has it in this covid pandemic it's looking promising at the moment i think um there's obviously various hurdles to jump over and we are in the midst of trying to jump over them um so yeah we definitely hope to have some exciting news to share soon but yeah need to finish hurdle jumping to finish our spreadsheets don't we charlie yeah (laughs) i won't put you on the spot and ask for for any dates but i get the impression that if anybody can jump over your hurdles this is this team can if you know what i mean we're giving it all the enthusiasm a couple of more things, but it's absolutely brilliant to, to find out more about it. And I, I would encourage people to go to the website. And uh, in particular, that one section that I really loved was um, the, the, the personal stories, um, Climbers Like Me. Is that what you've called it? The, the Climbers Like Me project, which is a part of the website where you have sort of really nice uh, images and then people's personal stories where they talk about the barriers and there's just some really powerful stories on there and I found it quite uh, educational um, and I, I presume that's you just add to that with each festival is that the concept if people are comfortable with that so we actually set it up um, during lockdown because the festival couldn't go ahead last year and we felt like we still wanted to do something uh, because it felt like a real shame that the festival couldn't go ahead so we kind of reached out to the community and we wanted to kind of put together this um, page of people so that everybody felt like they were kind of, they could see someone like themselves there. And so we reached out and we said, you know, if you feel like you've got a story to tell and if you feel like, you know, you might want to see someone like yourself there, 
like tell us your story and so every single week we kind of share a new story and we've been doing that for the past few months and it's just been such a lovely thing to do and see all the different stories that we get and the kind of diverse mix of people and it shows that it's not just like one kind of person there really is so many different kinds of people in the climbing community yeah I think we really wanted to challenge that like you know the, the de- when, when you think of a climber a definition of a climber that we want to show that that can be anyone like it doesn't doesn't have to necessarily be maybe more old school stereotypes like especially when it comes to our festival if you want to scale rock you're a climber yeah great it really is sort of inclusive in that widest sense of of the word so I encourage people to go and look at that it's, it, yeah it's, it's very powerful Listen, it's been brilliant to chat. What advice would you give to people who are maybe struggling in this COVID time? Um, if you've got any tips, um, you know, shall I guess just get out there, swim in an icy tarn, any other things around well-being? I think that I would just say, like, whatever you want to do, just go and do it. I think there's so many people who you know, go, oh, I'd really love to go wild swimming or I'd really love to climb or whatever else it is and they never kind of get around to it. And I think like, you know, if this has shown us anything, it's that you literally have no idea what's around the corner. So if you want to do something, just like go and do it because whatever it is, it will be possible. You just kind of have to figure out a way. And once you do do it, you'll feel really glad that you've made the effort to figure it out. So yeah, I think just go and do it is my advice I think as well though don't don't like don't worry if it's not for you if you try if you think oh I'm gonna absolutely love mountain biking and you, you hate it it doesn't matter go like go try the next thing like you, we don't I definitely for one I'm gu- guilty of trying to you know do everything or love everything you, you there's so much out there you know if you don't like if you try try climbing anything oh no this actually isn't for me you know ha- have a look at bouldering have a go at sport climbing there's so so many incredible things you can do outdoors that um, it's definitely about finding what you're passionate about and taking a bit of time just to work it out. Not worry about how you look at the beginning. Don't get caught up in the, there's a lot of lingo and jargon, especially with like the outdoors. We're really bad at it. And um, don't, don't worry about that. A lot of us still don't really know what we're doing. We're just out there having fun and trying our best. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, listen, all the best with, the festival hopefully fingers crossed you'll be able to make it happen this year it's been brilliant to chat and learn more about it and uh, i'll encourage everyone to go and have a look at your website and keep up the good work thank you for listening to this episode i hope you enjoyed it i've been your host andy cave and you've been listening to the rab mountain people podcast to keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this don't forget to subscribe and i look forward to bringing you more stories and interviews very soon